Well, good morning. My apologies if you came to hear Randy this morning, but he's taken a couple of weeks off. And he asked me to fill in on the day I decided to come down with a cold. So if I don't like you, I'm going to come give you a big hug. And if I do like you, I'm going to keep my distance. And I would just encourage you to keep yours because the good news is it's not COVID. I did test negative for that. But I'm tested positive for some sort of rhinovirus that I'm carrying around with me. This morning, uh, we're going to be in two chapters in the book of Acts, and we're going to look at some incidents or events that really aren't the star players in these chapters, and yet they are the, the, the driving force that really makes the kingdom go. And that's why I called this lesson, Can Ordinary People Make a Difference? And to get us started before we go to the next slide, I want to tell you a true story. I married Kathy 38 plus years ago. Yeah, she's put up with me that long. See, I'm already off to a good start. But when I married her, I also married her grandmother's China. Now, her grandmother's China it was not ordinary. It dates from the 19-teens. It had gold trim around it and gold inlay in it. You couldn't put it in the dishwasher, which for me was a, I'll throw that away right now. <clears throat> we have moved five times, and in five times I've packed that china carefully. The last time we didn't unpack it, we gave it to our granddaughter, and so now it's her problem. But I kept saying to Kathy, why do we have China that we're not using? What's the point of having this? We didn't even display it. It, just, it wasn't prominent in our home in any way. It was just the sentimental value of it. And I think sometimes as Christians, we begin to look at ourselves as fine China, that we don't want to get nicked and we don't want to get dinged and we don't want to be say the wrong thing or, or, or do something inappropriate and, and, and you know, mess up our, our service to God. But the reality is the most potent servants in the kingdom are the ordinary people who do the ordinary stuff. I would like to say it's the preachers because that's how I've made my living. I would like to say it's the elders because my father was one of the finest elders I ever saw. But I've noticed over the years that in all these events, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, it's just the ordinary people that make the difference. So let me read a verse. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. Boy, you made that. If you need to move forward to read that, feel free. <laughs> I didn't send it that small, I promise. Paul's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power, that's the gospel, is from God and not from us. Now, that not, might not seem like a big deal to you, but if you were an archaeologist or you went on an archaeological dig in, in the Middle East and you found the town 
dump or trash heap where they threw out all the garbage in that community, and you started digging through it from 2,000 years ago, you know what you'd find? Tons and tons of bits and pieces of jars of clay. Because a jar of clay is made with some water and some mud. You shape it the way you want it. You, when the bread's finished cooking out there in the oven, you go put the little thing in there, and it bakes, and it hardens, and you've got a little cup, or you've got a bowl, or if you're real artistic, you've got a pitcher. But if you break it, so what? More water, more mud, you got another bowl. Now, Paul's point in saying this is really critical. We do not have the gospel in fine china. We have it in jars of clay. And I think the Corinthians, who were arguing about who was important and who was valuable and what mattered, in, and, you know, they had all kinds of pride issues in the church at Corinth. And Paul wants them to say, you know, it's not the... We're jars of clay. We're just plain old ordinary stuff. And in fact, the way we're not fine china, you, that's the next slide. Here's what we are, and that's the slide I want to focus on. The fact is we're not fine china. Instead, we are, go ahead and hit the button. <laughs> we're paper plate people. Now, I don't know about your house, but at our house, we don't display our paper plates. We don't brag about the fact that we were at Walmart the other day and we found this package of unopened and we bought it and look, it's over here. What do you do with the paper plate? Well, I could ask some of you. There may be somebody out there stingy enough that washes your paper plates. I don't know. But what we do with our paper plates is we eat off of them and we toss them. Isn't that how they're designed to be used? We are paper plate people. We're not designed to be elegant. We're not designed to be unchipped. We're not not even designed to be kept around. We're designed to serve the Lord's purpose in any way we can. Now, what we're going to look at is four events that come along. But before we do, tell you a little story about Oliver Cromwell. Now, I hate to go into history. That's my passion, not yours. But Oliver Cromwell led the Protestants against the King of England, who was a Catholic. And in the wars that engaged there, they were running out of money. So he sent his servants to go find some silver they could melt down and make coins. And when they did, they came back and they said, we couldn't find any silver except for the statues of the saints in the corner of the churches. And here's what Cromwell said. He said, It's time we got the saints back into circulation. Melt those things down. It's time we got the saints back into circulation. That's what a paper plate person does. She or he fulfills his purpose, does his work, and that's what matters. And there are four events when we talk about that this comes from Acts chapter 8 and 9 as I mentioned if you go to the next slide that'll get us going and the first is a, is a real simple one now Stephen has just preached his magnificent sermon and it got him killed you remember that he was stoned to death 
And the result of that is the passage you're reading. Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, that's kind of interesting. Now, we're, paper plates are going everywhere. You get the message? Get the, kind of get the theme there. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. And I want you to think about this. So go on to the next slide. And that is sometimes a simple religious ceremony can make such an profound difference. Now, there's a persecution breaking out. We're told that. Saul's laying waste the church. We're told that. It's dangerous to be in Jerusalem and be a Christian. But some brave men took the time to bury a good man who deserved a funeral. I've seen more good done at funerals than in many places. People who show up from out of nowhere with some food. People who show up from out of nowhere who didn't even know the deceased but knew the spouse or knew the cousin or knew the relative. I have done those funerals, and sometimes we look at those situations and we think the preacher's the star, but let me tell you who the star of every funeral is. It's the sweet people who organize the meal for that family. Those are the stars. They get no attention. They get no credit. They're just paper plates being used for a very godly purpose. And what I'm trying to say to you is, you may not think you're important to this body. You may not think you're important to the cause of Christ. You may not think that you're up to the task because you're not fine china. But the reality is, you're of more use to God as a paper plate than you are as fine china. And you can do more good by bringing food to a funeral volunteering to teach one of our Bible classes by just writing a note. We have some people in this congregation who are wonderful note writers. Nothing brightens my week like getting a note from somebody. Hint, hint. I I hate to drop the hints, but the hints do come through. It was a simple funeral, a simple religious funeral ceremony. And so those little things really mount up. So let me just encourage you today. The fact that you even came today means that you're in the service of God. You're doing something valuable right now, even though you're listening to somebody like me, because you made the effort to come out and honor God with your presence and your attention. Now we're going to turn the page. We're missing a couple of things before we turn the page. There's some big events in Acts 8 that we're going to skip over. We're going to go miss uh, Philip's trip up to Samaria. We're going to miss him chasing down the guy from Ethiopia and converting him. Instead, we're going to go over to Acts, the ninth chapter, beginning in verse 10. So let's go to Acts 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, let me just stop right there. This is the only time Ananias gets any language in the New Testament. There's no letter to Ananias. There's no letter from Ananias. 
He's just a guy in Damascus. My hunch, I don't know this, but my hunch is he was probably one of the Christians in Jerusalem that left Jerusalem to get out of harm's way, and he went to Damascus. Well, sadly, Saul's on his way to Damascus to do harm to Christians there. So in Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias. And this is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. By the way, if you get a vision from the Lord, this is a good answer. Yes, Lord, he answered. That's a good answer. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Keep going. Lord Ananias answered, I love this. Lord, I need to tell you something you don't know. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Lord, I, I got to remind you about this fellow. There's this fellow Saul. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. Now he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on his name. I love that. Don't we love to argue with God? You know, you get that moment where you know you ought to send a note or you ought to call somebody and check on how they're doing. Or it just fills your heart that there's this thing that ought to happen. And part of you says, Lord, you know, I don't really want to do that. I'm not good at that. Somebody walks up to you. I can't tell you how many of the best prayers, and what I mean by that, men who lead prayers, men where I preach to lead prayers, they never led a prayer in their life. And the first time I asked them to lead a prayer, they said, I can't do it. And now if you hear them lead a prayer, you cry. Because that's how powerful and passionate their prayers are. And he says, Lord, he's come here to arrest all who call on your name. And the Lord said, and go on, the Lord said to Ananias, go. <laughs> this isn't a debate. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. My hunch is when Ananias got up that morning, he had his day planned. But my hunch also is none of that had not anything to do with knocking on a door where Saul was waiting behind it. And by the end of it, Ananias was probably the guy baptizing Saul. Isn't that something? Now, there's a few folks in my life I've baptized. And you know, a couple of them I've been able to look at and say, look what a difference that person's making in the kingdom. Now, I didn't have anything to do with it because when I baptize somebody, it's between them and God. I'm just, I'm just a servant there. I'm a paper plate just at work. That's all I'm doing. But it's amazing what God can do with some people once they're converted. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, it's all about Paul, isn't it? And that's because Ananias 
had the courage to do the hard. So we'll go to the next slide. Imagine a knock on a terrifying door. And if you're a parent, you've probably had some of these kinds of conversations where you had to sit down with one of your teenagers and say, I need to know what's going on right now. You know, I need to know what's going on. Have you ever found liquor in their car? Or some sort of drug paraphernalia in their possession? Or if you were one of those parents who roots around and you read their diary, naughty on you. But the reality is there are those moments that you have to do something that your inners are saying, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do this. And, and God says, no, you need to do this. You need to say what you need to say. You need to talk to this person. You need to go to this person. There have been times that I've said things publicly from the pulpit where I had to track somebody down afterwards and apologize. Because what I was trying to say isn't what came out. And what came out was not kind or appropriate. There are times we're going to knock on doors, uncertain of what the reception is going to be on the other side. You see, in, in Ananias' mind, he thought he was just going to get shackled up and put under arrest. But instead, he converted one of the greatest evangelists the New Testament had. Isn't that amazing? Because one man had the courage to knock on a door. So maybe this week you're going to encounter somebody and you'll have the courage to knock on their door. Have a conversation with them. Invite them. Look around. We've got plenty of room for more people. Invite them. Encourage them to get to know the Lord we love and we serve and we honor. Invite them. And let's see what happens. And that brings us to the next event. So let's go to Acts 9 and verse 26. Saul has done his thing in Damascus, and as usual, Saul's caused, caused trouble, and he had to leave Damascus. He goes back to Jerusalem. And so when Saul, and that's who he's talking about, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And before we go to the next verse, I, I want you to stop and think about that. Somebody starts picking on East Sunshine and one by one has us arrested, tortures us, tries to compel us to give up our faith in Christ. And then a few weeks later, he shows up and says, can I be a member of your congregation? That's what Saul did. And I guarantee you there were people in that church who said, he, he killed my, my mother-in-law. He, he killed my cousin. This man's responsible for my wife, my husband's death. Do you really want to sit on the same pew with this guy? And so nobody wants to have anything to do with him. And that includes the apostles. Even, didn't let that sit in. Even the 12 apostles didn't want Saul. But look what happens. Next verse, verse 27. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. 
He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now my guess is that made for some pretty awkward worship services, don't you? I don't know who was the first to sit close to Saul in that assembly. If he had injured your family or your friends or your relatives, whoever, it would be hard. But now he's moving about freely among them and he's preaching fearlessly in the name of Jesus. All because Barnabas had the courage to introduce him, and that's our next slide, to the church. Now, I don't know what you can do. I don't know. Maybe you don't want to get up here and help the praise team. In fact, you may be helping the praise team by not getting up here. I, I, I understand that. But the reality is, whatever you can do, you can do this. This week, I'm just Get a name in mind, a relative, a friend, a co-worker, the guy next door, the guy who mows your lawn, whoever. You can invite them to church. Introduce them to this group of people. And, and in all honesty, like me, they may, you know, they may look at you and not be impressed. They're not going to be impressed with me. And, and, you know, I've come down with this wonderful cold. I'm not exactly good company right now but the fact is I can still pick up a phone or I can still send an email I can still do the little things that introduce people to this congregation I don't know about you but I think we got a good congregation by the way that deserves an amen I think we've got great shepherds leading this church We've got wonderful men and women serving this church in more capacities than I can count. And I would love my friends and neighbors to join us. And all it takes is a Barnabas. Now Barnabas had credibility because he had done a lot of great things for the Jerusalem church earlier in the book of Acts. And so he was the guy that could open the door to get Saul into the congregation. But the reality is that what worked was he introduced Saul to the church. Invite your friends. In fact, I'm just going to challenge you this week. Invite a friend. Tell them it's a safe place. Tell them they're welcome here. Nobody's going to judge them. Nobody's going to be ugly to them. Nobody's going to tell them how they're going to hell. In fact... If we're going to tell them anything, it's we don't want you to go to hell. We want you in God's kingdom. Now, there's one more event in, the, in Acts 9 that I want us to talk about, and this is toward the end. In Joppa, this is later on, some things have happened. Peter's done a miracle. But in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated as Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. Now that's, that's a good reputation. 
About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Now, before we go on, let me kind of give you the customs. In Jewish culture then, and even today in Orthodox Jewish culture, you, you wash the body and you bury it the same day it died. So if a person dies, they're in the grave by, by sundown. You just, that's just what's done. Now, the reason for that was they didn't have all of the embalming techniques we have today, and, and so you need to get them in the ground quick. So they've got her washed and ready to bury, but then somebody comes up with this idea. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. In other words, get down here, sunset's coming, and we're going to have to bury her. Peter went with him, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him all the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. And Peter sent them out, all out of the room, got down on his knees and prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. He called the believers and widows and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Now, I know when you read that, Peter seems to be the star of the show. But the reality is, Peter would have had nowhere to go with this if it hadn't been for Dorcas' life. Had she been an elderly woman whose time had come, they wouldn't have called Peter. But she was an active woman. She was a thoughtful woman. She was a helpful woman. She was a busy worker and helped the poor. Now, my guess is she wasn't rich herself, but what she could do was sew, and so she did a lot of sewing. And when Peter showed up, they sewed all the, all the things that she had been sewing. And so you can go, go to the next slide because that teach somebody how to sew. There we go. They're the few little things that we can do. She was a seamstress. You know what's going to happen when I die. When I die and people show up at the house and try to commiserate with Kathy, she's going to say, oh, look, all of his remote controls. I don't know how to use any of them. <laughs> I don't know which one's the TV and which one's the satellite. I don't, I don't know why, you know, because that's what I'm good at. What Dorcas was good at was helping people. And you've got folks living all around you that might need a hand. Might need just a pat on the back. I spent about 10 minutes with a neighbor just last night because the internet in our neighborhood is not working. You want to talk about feeling cut off. We stream our television service, so you know, no, no TV of at least none of the big it's like living in the dark ages three channels it's really hard to get by but I spent 10 minutes with him talking about he said is your internet down I said yep ours is down keeps coming on keeps going off he said that's what ours is doing his wife works from home on the internet guess what a connection a connection and it's those little things that we do for each other that can make all the difference. 
And that brings the things I want to close with. Don't go to the next slide just yet. This is a true story. There was a fellow who flew on a B-17 bomber in World War II. He did his 25 missions, I think it was, over Germany, survived. But he said there was one particular raid in which they got hit by anti-aircraft fire. 20 millimeter shells hit them. Now, that wasn't unusual because the B-17 was a big plane, but it hit the gas tank. Now, inevitably, when a hot shell hits gasoline, you can do the math, you got an explosion. And down went the plane. And if you've ever seen all those old black and white films of the B-17s breaking apart because of the anti-aircraft, you know what I'm talking about. But nothing happened. They finished their bombing run. They went back to England. And when they got back to England, this guy went to, the, the, to his pilot and he said, can you tell me what happened? He said, well, you know, I had to figure that out myself. I, he said, I went over to the guys who were repairing the airplane, and I said, did you find those 20 millimeter shells in our plane? He, he was expecting them to find one. He said, yeah, we found 11 of them. And he thought to himself, 11? And the plane didn't blow up and we all didn't die? And he said all 11 of them were empty. There was no ammunition, no gunpowder in them. Except one. One had a note in it. Written in Czechoslovakian. They had to find somebody on the airbase that could speak Czechoslovakian and read it. And he translated the note. And it says, this is all we can do for you now. And I tell you, there were 10 guys from that bomber crew walking around alive because some guy took a chance in an ammunition factory under the guards of the Germans and instead of putting gunpowder, put a note in a shell. And that poor man probably died never knowing the good that he did. I'm not asking you to be the fine china. I don't expect you to be the star of the football game. I don't expect you to hit the home run. Albert Pujols is good enough to do that. All I ask you to do is the little things. And when we do the little things, we can change our world. If you need help, we're going to pray in a minute. But before we do that, let me close with a prayer. Father, we're just so thankful that you've empowered us to be paper plates. Remind us that we're not special. And it's just the little things that we do day in and day out that can have such a dramatic impact on the lives of other people. Help us, Father, just to be sensitive. Help us to be the kind of paper plate that does its service. And then help us, Father, give you all the glory for the good that is done. And it's through Jesus we pray, and amen. We're going to sing a song. Our elders are going to come, and if you need to pray, just seek out one of our elders and talk to them, and they will help pray with you. And we'd love for you to come at this time.